Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 The Zone. Welcome in on a Thursday morning. Utah Jazz have one more game before the All-Star break. We'll see if it goes any better than the last two. This has not been a good week. The Warriors got the Jazz. Now the Lakers have gotten the Jazz. And the Lakers, on paper, that was a scheduled win. The Lakers are going back-to-back. The Jazz are not. The Lakers are on the road. The Jazz are at home. The Lakers are missing LeBron James. There's some built-in advantages for the Utah Jazz. But the thing about those built-in advantages is you have to actually capitalize on them. And the Jazz didn't. The offense is clunky. They've got too many non-shooters on the floor at the time, but they traded away two shooters. So Coach uh, Will Hardy, his options are limited. There's usually two or three non-shooters on the floor at the time. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't great basketball late in the game. It looked like they really didn't want to be there. Maybe an all-star game will help them reset that whole all-star weekend and getting a bunch of time off. And probably more likely they're just playing out the string to the end of the season. And then we'll see what kind of changes are made this summer. We'll get to the best of the postgame show coming up. First of all, BYU basketball. Cougar assistant coach Cody Fuger joining us during yesterday's show to talk about the big win over UCF, holding on and getting that two-point win. And at a big opportunity here for a road win at Oklahoma State, last place team in the league, Very winnable game for BYU. Also, some of the bigger picture issues as BYU adjusts to life in the Big 12. Here's Cody Fuger with PK and I on 97.5 The Zone. How much drama means you need to get through a roller coaster ride like that game? Moments of brilliance, moments that had to cause you agony, and in the end, a W. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that, that UCF team is super talented. They're tough. They play extremely hard. Um, you know, they beat Texas at Texas that, this year. They they beat Kansas. I mean, they're they're a really tough team. Um, you know, we had we had a couple we had a chance to kind of blow that thing out of there when uh, you know we were up about seventeen or eighteen, and then we turned it over six straight time times. Kind of gave them a little energy, a little juice. Um, and then you know it, what? It, in the last minute, we were up ten. And they started hitting some really tough shots, tough threes, and getting to the rim. And luckily, we made some free throws, and our guys toughed it out. Man, it was it was a tough one. Yeah, you talk about uh, letting teams back in when you played K State. Their coach afterwards said, uh, because of the way they play, they'll always let you back in. And I was intrigued by that. Uh, what what do you think that meant? And what do you got to do to make sure that you get a better hold on that and not allow teams to get back in? Yeah, you know, I th- I think what he's talking about is, you know, all game long, honestly, we're trying to be the aggressor. Um, and if our guys stop being the aggressor that way, that, that gives teams a chance to kind of get back in. Um, but we will take shots, you know, early at the shot clock sometimes. You know, we, we want to always stay on our toes and, and keep on a, playing on attack, like I said. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out as well as we want it to happen. But, you know, this season we're playing pretty well at a pretty high level, and it's worked out for the most part this year. When the Cougars are at their best, and you're building a lead that peaked at 19 points, what is the real strength of the team, and how does that translate as the games get bigger here February into March? Uh, A real strength, I I feel like we're really connected on both sides of the ball. you know, we've had a group that's been together now for, you know, a little over a year. And, and um, you know, at any point we could have a different player on our roster go off from Dallin Hall, 
you know, to, you know, Fus Traore, who comes off the bench for us, uh, to Richie Saunders, another guy who comes off the bench. So we we have about seven, seven or eight guys on our roster that can kind of go for some some big games points wise, and and every game it's a little bit different. Like Noah Waterman had a really good game last night, um, and then defensively, what I think we're, we're we're great at is our shell principles, and our guys are are in the right spot at basically all game long. Um, you know, some of the things we need to tighten up from last night, but, you know, I, I feel like our guys are really connected at the end of the day. You speak of those rotations along the front line. I'm intrigued by that because you brought up Triori, who a couple games back, it really carried you guys and has been outstanding. And then against UCF, he gets 11 minutes off the bench. Uh, Waterman, and I realize he had some health issues too, uh, but it, it a little bit up and down. And you still have Khalifa doing his thing, trying to work his way through injuries and whatnot. And then you got Ali Atiki. How do you figure out the lineups based on the opponents and, and who you're playing? Is it something that is it just game to game, or what's going on there? Honestly, it, it's game to game. Um, and that's the best part is we have those three big guys like you talked about with Atiki, Khalifa, and Foos. And for the other team, they've got to prepare for basically three different offenses coming at them, you know, because we play, basically play three different styles with those three bigs in there. Um, and just kind of find out what's working, what's not working uh, during that time. And we try to do our best as coaches to put our guys in the best spots possible. And you know, during the games, it's just kind of a feel thing on what's working and what's not. And uh, that's, that's, it, it's really hard for, uh, you know, other teams to defend. That's why we're top, you know, on Ken Palm, we're number eight in the country offensively. And, um, you know, those three bigs have been a huge part of it. And the guys are making plays for each other. Does Foos spend a lot of time on all the footwork, the pump fake, scoring left hand and right hand. Is that something that comes to him naturally? Is that something he's been coached up on? Maybe before he got to BYU, maybe at BYU. Where does his ability to find that space down low when there doesn't seem to be any and get all the shot blockers off balance and score? Where, where does that come from? He's, he's spent a lot of time in the gym. Um, you know, he had a great coach at, um, you know, at Wasatch Academy with, uh, you know, Paul Peterson down there and, you know, kind of just kind of coming on the way up. His dad was a coach, um, you know, back home. And, you know, he's a kid that just loves to get, get in the gym, work on his footwork, and he is a massive, <laughs> massive human being, right? Um, not not with height, but, you know, he's six, six five and a half, six six, and he's just got a large frame, and he loves using his big, strong shoulders and uh, he does a good job keeping these shot blockers off balance, off balance, and going into their chest. And right now, he can go both left or right shoulder. And you know, he's just a great kid that works really hard at it. I spoke of the front line. Now let's go to the back back court. You've had some guys that man have had some wild performances. I think Robinson's probably your most consistent, and, and Hall too. Paul's more of a facilitator rather than a, a, an actual looking to score all the time. Uh, but then you got guys mm-hmm. like uh, Saunders and Nell and Johnson. 
And these guys, it seems like if you get two of those guys, the ones that I just mentioned, playing well, uh, Saunders, uh, Nell, Johnson, and then you can get Robinson and Hall doing their thing, your chances of winning really, really go up in my mind. Now, they've had some wide variety of games. How do you find consistency there? Because obviously the ability these guys have is there to help you win. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh <laughs> that's something that, you know, we work on, you know, with those those guys every single day of practice and and those guys just it, it's every single day they work their tails off in practice those those guards and um trying to make plays for each other and, you know, a guy like Dallin Hall, I feel like has been our most consistent guy all year long on that guard line and 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 um I think one of the best point guards in the country right now. And, you know, with how we play, we're just making the extra pass and playing for each other. Um, you know, there's going to be some nights where we're not making shots, but at the end of the day, that, that we just keep on doing what we do at a high level as best we can. You know, we feel like we have a chance in every game. You know, we are, you know, a couple shots away from being, you know, what, what are we, six and five? We're a couple shots away from being eight and three in this league. Um, and, you know, our, our, our guys are just, you know, they give their hearts out every single day and practice any game. So it's, it's it's a great group of kids, man. Next up, you've got Oklahoma State, and on paper, and their last place, this looks like an easy win, and yet you look at their schedule, and they've won their last two home games, and you're going there. What is your biggest worry going in to face the Cowboys? Yeah, I mean, like you just brought it up, um, you know, they, they're really tough uh, on the defensive end, especially at home, you know they're um, they beat West Virginia, Kansas State at home, Baylor, you know who's you know top top fifteen, top twenty team in the country. They took them into overtime at home, um, and then they also beat uh, almost beat TCU at their place. Um, so they play a lot of, a lot better at their home. Um, they're really physical. They got Brandon Harrison, who's an NBA talent, NBA prospect at the at the five position, who blocks shots. He's an elite rim protector, um, elite roller and rebounder. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of things that they do at a really high level. Javon Small, a little point guard that they have that can really shoot it, really good facilitator. Um, we have to come there, and we have to really protect the ball. Um, like I said, we didn't do a great job of that last night against UCF. So we have to do an unbelievable job protecting the ball and um, – keep making plays for each other and really space the floor. Um, Because this is a team that we should be able to get a ton of threes up um, as long as we're taking our shots or the shots that we practice every single day. Um, And then defensively, you know, I I love our team defensively. Um, We're tough. Uh, You know, like I said, we make all the right rotations right now. And, um, yeah, this is a really good team. We're, We're coming in there. And I know people say it's an easy win, but none of these Big 12 games are easy at all. Yeah, you guys, uh, 13, 14 years ago, uh, they had to make the best of it, right? For football, you got pushed out of the Mountain West and into the West Coast, which is not was ideal, but uh, we're over that. And all these guys that you play that are on your roster, uh, got, for instance, all the guys who played against UCF played in the West Coast, and now you're going into this conference. And it, it, I, I've said that as a Pac-12 guy 
uh, it's hard for me to give up the football when the, for the Pac-12, but the basketball, man, I, I have just been able to just jump on the Big 12 and what I'm getting as the schools that will come in next year. You guys are all obviously in there. But all these dudes who played in the West Coast Conference now in this conference, and even maybe the coaches, how much more exciting and how much more of a buzz is around the program because it really is the place to be. Oh man, you hit the nail on the head, man! Like every single game is exciting. Um, you know, we're playing different pros every single game. Um, the, the the fun thing is just putting you know our scout reports together right now because we're talking about Houston and we talk about their guard line and their bigs and we're like, oh, next we play Iowa State and we talk about how good that team is. Every single game is just just a great team to get prepared for and get excited to play about. Um, and everybody wants to talk about this Big 12. It's the best conference in the country. Um, it, it's really exciting times here at BYU and just how how great of a league this is, and it's going to keep on getting better, right? You know, adding the teams we are next year to, and it, it's just a really fun league and the great atmospheres everywhere we go, really good coaches. Um, man, it's, it's, it's every single day we're like, man, we get, you know, last night we got UCF, got Kansas State in here the other night. Um, going to you know Allen Fieldhouse here very soon. Every game you get excited for, and and, and our, our players are all you know ready to go. I think the fans love seeing the in-state guys play for the in-state schools, but the Big Twelve is such a higher level. How much does that cut down on the in-state recruiting you can do? How much Big Twelve caliber talent is coming up? I mean, there's some good. Good talent coming through, right? You know, we're excited. We got Colin Chandler coming back here in a couple of months. He's about 75 days away from coming back. Um, you know, and you know, our our deal is yes, we do want to get the best Utah kids. You know, top one or two guys every single year, and kind of build from there. Um, but our, like you said, our job is to win here, and wherever these players are coming from, overseas wherever we're going to do our jobs and the best way we can here is is to win at the highest level and you know there's some good talent coming up here we got to we got to get some of those guys um but we got to blend it all together you know we've got three guys from africa on this team we've got guys from all over the country all over the world um and you know we'll try to get the top one two guys every single year to stay stay home uh at byu and um kind of go from there because you're in the Big 12, and that's just an eye-catching statement unto itself, and uh, BYU is always in leadership, uh, top 10 in attendance and all that stuff, uh, how much bigger is the recruiting net, landscape, whatever it might be now, as opposed to the prior conference? You know, I think it's almost gotten smaller, to tell you the truth. Um you know, because we've got we've got all our different things here at BYU, with Honor Code, different things like that. Um, but if you take a look at the picture, who can really help us in the Big 12, right? You know, and the WCC, we've always tried to recruit the best players we can get, and we're still doing that. Um, but I, I think the amount of kids now that can actually help us in the in the Big 12 and win has gotten smaller. So I think it's kind of made our pool of players that can not only make it at BYU with honor code and different things like that, but also, you know, can help us win is, is just been a smaller, smaller pool. 
of players. So we have to look at, you know, turn every stone as, you know, everybody talks about, but turn every stone, look under every rock and, and look at everybody for the chance and who would be interested and also, you know, who, who could help us. So it's, it's a nonstop thing, but recruiting is an everyday thing in college basketball, as you guys already know. With the transfer portal, guys are coming and going, and sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. It's their decision no matter what you want. Uh, at the same time, in basketball, familiarity happens. So many people make so many split-second decisions. It really helps when you can read your teammates' body language and you know, you got the same basketball brain. Everybody knows what everybody else is doing. How much of an emphasis are you putting on talent, and how much of an emphasis are you putting on continuity? Um. That's a great question. You know, continuity is huge. Um, obviously, with this year, I think that's really helped us. And we're always going to try to have that, get the kids that really want to be here at BYU. Um, you know, and, and you look at some of these teams that have have taken guys from, you know, one-year transfer or one-year this and that, and they've kind of struggled this year. Uh, a lot of teams have. Um, so we're going to do our, just, our best job here at BYU to, you know, just try to, find the best balance we can. You know, there's going to be times where we're going to have to take the one-year transfer guys, um, you know, just to plug in some holes at times. But, you know, it, it, I wish I could give you, a, you know, the best answer is we're going to do the best we can. It's just every year we feel like it's going to be a little different because, like you said, some kids are just going to leave just because they want to leave. Um, and there's nothing you can do about it, even though they love their teammates and they do all their Instagram posts where they say they love it coaches and staff and everything but at the end of the day they put their name in the transfer portal um so we're just gonna do the best job we can i wish there was a a better answer uh than that for you the lds church has relaxed uh, communications that are available between missionaries and back home i don't know if it's just strictly family or if it's opened up to anyone i wonder if it, has that changed the coaching staff's ability to keep in touch and communicate with these kids they're out on missions because after they're out for what 18 months they essentially become free agent i guess that doesn't matter anyway now everyone's a free agent every year so that's even changed do you guys communicate with a kid like chandler and there'll be others going forward in the coming years obviously the compared to what you used to do with kids who are on missions that are in your program yeah, we try to commute, communicate um, with those guys weekly, whether it's email or, you know, some type of chat. Um, we've got a couple guys out right now um, that we'll spend time with um, weekly, and that that's super important, talking to them and their family. Um, you know, you know, um, yeah, that's that's what, B, what BYU is, right? Like, uh, the missionaries are a huge part of it. Um, so us as a staff and and our you know teammates reach out to each other. Uh, that's a huge deal here. There's BYU assistant coach Cody Fugger. When we come back, Tim Lacombe from the Jazz pre-half and post-game show on where the Jazz are after the trade deadline and what we need to watch for going forward. Stay with us. Good morning, DJ and PK is proudly presented by Murdoch Chevrolet, serving Utah since 1926. Tim Lacombe joined us in yesterday's show, so some of the last night references and tonight references will be off. But he talked about bigger picture, what to watch for in these games, and how the Jazz are going to have to handle the challenge now that the team just isn't as good, the product on the floor isn't going to be as good. Obviously, that's going to affect some guys, especially veteran guys. Uh, 
But they got to push through it, and, and what do they have to gain here in the last 25 games or so? Here is Tim Lacombe with PK and I. Jazz fans not necessarily feeling the love after the trade deadline deals. Do you see the path forward? Do you see where this is going? Or stack up the draft picks. We don't see exactly where it's going, but uh, it'll go somewhere. Something will break their way at some point. Yeah, I, I kind of think living and dying with every game right now is akin to having a, you know, like an eight-year-old kid and worried about what they're going to major in in college. Um, not to say we're that far away chronologically, but, but in the process, there's a lot of things that have to happen. And ultimately what just happened is a window went by and the Jazz decided to utilize – a guy that was going to expire, um, a couple guys that were going to expire, and also with Ochai, somebody they just decided to move down the road. So, of course, early on there's going to be pain. Um, and I think right now we're in the midst of that. There's you know, Taylor and Keontae going to take on NBA minutes. Those are young guys, have never done it before. So there's going to be bumpy times. There's going to be good times, too. You know, every little rep that they do or every little thing that they do well, you know, it's it's in the it goes in the W column. So um, right now, I, I trust the plan. I, I think every move that the Jazz have made is, have been good uh, long term. But there's always going to be little bumps in the road short term. Right. I mean, that's two different things. You got the plan there and we'll see how it develops over the coming months and years, but in the short term here, the guys came out and were totally uninspired uh, on Monday night against the Warriors, and it was to the point of basically embarrassment, I thought, and I'm not employed by them, so I can speak my mind freely, and I don't really care what they think, but it was an embarrassing performance. So, you still have over 25 games to go, and nobody wants that. How do you get these guys now to realize, okay, management pulled the rug out from under you, but still, you're professionals, people are paying to come to the games, and you got to give a better effort than that. Yeah, I think it's, you know, every every night, you know, the Jazz have an opportunity to grow a little bit. I did feel like the other night body language wasn't awesome. Um, you know, the the game got away from them late, but I feel like the – the veterans just have to understand. I mean, and, and the other part of this, it's not like it was a surprise. You know, I think I think everybody understood and, and understands what phase this organization is in. Um, and I do believe they do a, try to do a pretty good job of being transparent about what things could happen. Nonetheless, you know, what's done is done, and, and I think it's a little frustrating for some of the vets to – have guys out there not necessarily knowing some of the base coverages and things. And so it's going to take some time, but I'm with you. I think the key to it all is that they, you know, and the people around here will love this team if they play hard and if they compete, Um, you know, they are a game and a half right now out of play in. And if they were to get, you know, with a young group, if they were to last 28 games, figure it out, could be a real building block. But nonetheless, either way, these reps are pertinent to the growth of this organization. So whether it's good nights, bad nights, I'm with UPK. The team needs to learn how to play together and play hard together. 
And those are two different things because that connectivity is what that group that just, you know, has been here. Kelly uh, was a big part of it. That connectivity is now a little frayed, and they've got to figure out a way to get it back. PK loves baseball analogies, so here's one for the Jazz offense. Iso ball is a changeup. Devastatingly effective at times, but you just can't throw it out there pitch after pitch after pitch because somebody will hammer it. The Jazz, their ability to pass and move the ball, and when the ball really flowed, they looked like a really good team, which is why they had that stretch. They were 12-2 and two and 17-4 uh, and four or whatever it was. It was a great stretch of basketball, and the ball really moved. The ball stuck the other night. It was dreadful. I thought everything ground to a halt offensively. But can they really play the way they played, losing a guy who can pass in and Kelly and two guys who stretched the floor and created space in Olenek and Fontecchio? Are they doomed now to have, no matter who's out there, a kind of crowded floor with people sagging off the non-shooters and jamming everything up? Probably in the short term. I mean, people have got to – you you have to gain your own reputation in this league, and it's done out on the floor. Um, you know, so Taylor's got to have nights where he drills a couple threes, and you know, John's got to continue to make threes, and um, and Keontae. You know, one of the things that's really been a struggle for him this year is shooting the basketball. It's two for ten the other night, um, and he's he's got to find a rhythm shooting. You know, so probably in the short term, it is going to be a little convoluted. And teams like a veteran team like the Lakers tonight are going to probably make a couple guys prove their game. Um, and until the Jazz consistently do that, it'll probably be a little messy. But again, I want to reiterate that win, lose, or draw, these reps are good because again, you're you're getting into some of these young guys who. Your, you know, Taylor Hendricks had former teammates and, and a couple of staff members the other night at the UCF game. When I say this guy's young, like his peers have pimples. <laughs> I mean, I was looking down at them. Um, he's a young guy, and he was not supposed to be at this uh, in this league quite yet. But his play put him here. And so the development phase is going to be huge. So all these games and everything going on, there's going to be aggravation. But you got to keep your eye on the prize. you got to keep your eye on understanding that we Jazz have quite a stash. And Ainge, Zanuck, Smith have a plan. And, and I trust the three, you know, and, I, and everybody else involved, but those three particularly. How much do you think that the trades were connected to the lineup change with uh, George Fordunn? I think the, one of the main objectives in the, in the, all those in those moves was to get the young guys time, and so uh, you know I think more probably more to get Taylor out there um, a little bit less probably about that. I think that was a byproduct or result after the moves have been made to try to make sure that there's enough spacing on the floor. And again, that's spacing in the NBA is earned. You know, there's no, uh, your reputation is made. So guys are going to have to make shots. But I think, honestly, PK, I think that had more to do with obviously progression, but just trying to even out the shooting on the floor. 
Tim Lacombe joining us from the Jazz pre-half and post-game show. Could Fontegio have been kept? What was his price tag? Six, nine, twelve, fifteen million. What? What do you think? Was he going to be too expensive? He wasn't that old. He could certainly shoot the three. He was more physical defensively than we expected. I think we all get the KO move. I don't think it takes a lot to get that. The Fontecchio move, maybe thought he was going to be overpaid on the market and they needed to keep the cap space for whatever big moves they're planning. What do you think about that? Possibly, but again, I go back to he is 28. um, And I think... He had played himself into some value, obviously. I also think that Detroit really liked him. And, you know, I think the Jazz understood that there are, you know, guys. Fontecchio was a guy that nobody really knew about. The Jazz bring over here and he has success. So, again, it's it's an evaluation process, not just, hey, is this guy good enough? Or, hey, is this good enough guy good enough right now? But so many more things it's a melting pot of of things and so while i was a fan um i I can kind of see particularly with what i just talked about giving opportunities because we haven't talked about sensible they want to get him time too so they had to they had to open up some spots out there on the wing and if this team does like figure it out and make a little bit of a run it's going to be really fun um with a bunch of young guys and I wish Simone the best. Uh, obviously, he's he's had a good start in Detroit, but I think more than anything, it came down to fit timeline and you know opportunities for young guys to to get out there and do their thing. Yeah, too with Kessler now, uh, we'll get a good dosage of seeing how this works with these guys up front. Obviously, marketing and Collins, and I'm anticipating that because I think that that's something that. In order for the team to get where it wants to go, I think that needs to happen to where they they have the opportunity to have Markkinen and Kessler on the floor together. So I'm excited to see over these last uh, couple of months to see how that works. What do you think about that? Um, I, I got cut mid-sentence, but I you were talking about Markkinen and Collins and, and well, Kessler playing together. Is yeah, that particularly uh, Markkinen and Kessler. A good run of those guys, you know, not every single minute, but the majority of the minutes. Yeah, I like. I mean, you got to have those guys play, and then you got to have Keontae kind of play with those guys a little sure. bit too. Yeah. Um, I you know the spacing, particularly with John. Collins, Walker, and Lowry's been clunky. Right, that's what I'm saying. And and so they've got to work on that. I think um, John has kind of gotten – he came in with a reputation last year shooting 29% from three. He's done better than that, and, um, and he's willing to take them. So I, I think they can, with time and reps, work on that. But I'm with you. I love uh, – I love Walker – and Lowry out there together. Walker has been playing really well. I mean, he went through a period of time where, you know, I think he was questioning his abilities, and I think he's just kind of now leaned into the things he does great. He's protecting the rim. He's running the floor like crazy. Uh, The other night there were two or three transition possessions that he thwarted because he ran the floor so hard. Uh, So there's things in growth I'm seeing with Walker. Um, But let me put a cool visual. The way that we see Walker protect the rim and Lowry's length. Imagine on the other side of that, once it kind of starts to 
to kind of blossom Taylor Hendricks' ability to guard and weak side block shot or shot block. I mean, you all of a sudden have a pretty long and active, you know, group. I think now it's just add some experience to that and, uh, and some teeth start to grow. Clear so worked for me when I was younger. Did it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you you know if you want to get that to Hendricks and his and his people there with the pimples. Well, that's good. That's a good memory. It's not it's not him. It's his people. Okay, well, his, his people. people. It's fine. That'd be a good song. His people have pimples. <laughs> Why don't you go work on that and let us know how that goes? <laughs> uh, are you guys I, doing anything? I think that could be a pop hit today. That could be a pop hit, Tim. Yeah, I mean it'd be a blast. There would be. You know, it would be a uh, – maybe you can name your your band the Blackheads. Okay. Tim, thanks a lot. we got to run. Happy Valentine's. I love you guys. All right. You're the man, Tim. There's Tim LaCombe. When we come back, the best of the postgame shows coming up next. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 The Zone. The Utah Jazz fall to the Lakers on a night that – the Jazz were coming off a day off, and the Lakers were coming off a game. And the Lakers had to travel and were at elevation, and the Jazz were at home, and none of that matters. Lakers really dominated the second half of that game. Here is the best of the postgame show. Welcome into your Utah Jazz recap on DJ and PK. The Utah Jazz dropped their third straight game with a 138-122 loss at home to the Los Angeles Lakers. With the loss, the Jazz fall to 26-29 and on the season, remain in 11th place in the Western Conference. You saw a leading scorer in Anthony Davis for the Los Angeles Lakers, 37 points, 12 of uh, or 15 rebounds, 13 of 25 from the floor, and 10 of 13 from the free throw line. Here's Jazz coach Will Hardy discussing the team's loss. You know, Anthony Davis had a great game. Um, I thought Hachimura honestly was really the difference. Um, you know, made some tough shots in isolation. Also, we left some guys on islands a little bit too long, especially in the second quarter. Um, you know, and I think our communication defensively needs to be a little bit sharper. Um, you know, it created some advantages for them, and that's that's why the they were able to get to the free throw line. Um, offensively for us, I actually was relatively pleased with um, some of the looks we got, especially from three. Um, and the reality is we just didn't make very many of them tonight. Um, you know, when you start looking at the stats, the points in the paint are relatively even. Um, you know, and the, the made threes are even, but we took 14 more of them than they did. And then they obviously beat us at the free throw line. So, I, you know, offensively, I wasn't, um, I wasn't necessarily upset with how the game was played I think you know there are times we can be a little more physical driving the ball but I do think that there were a lot of good looks from three that we got that just didn't go um, you know defensively we got to continue to clean up some of the communication um, and do a better job protecting the basket as a group the last five minutes of the third quarter the Lakers outscored you guys 24 to 8 Anthony Davis had 14 of those 24 points where did it get, kind of get away defensively in, in trying to guard him? And and what was he able to do to kind of figure you guys out? Yeah, he, he got in a good rhythm. Um, 
you know, some of it, he kind of had a variety there. You know, some of it's offensive rebounding. Some of it's um, shooting some pick and pop, you know, 18-foot jumpers, which weren't a huge concern relative to the other things that Anthony Davis does well. I mean, I recognize that he's a capable shooter, but, um, you know, I think our communication in terms of going to show help versus him just wasn't very sharp in that that period of time um you know he's an all-star for a reason he's a premier player in our league for a reason and you know we have to be really really disciplined in those moments um to try to show him multiple bodies the the free throw line i thought obviously was was big for him as well you know, the end of that third quarter, they played a lot of the quarter in the bonus, which against a big physical team like that, it's it puts you in some tough spots um, because, you know, there are times we put him on the free throw line, like on a cross screen. He's coming across a cross screen and we bump him and he goes to the free throw line. And that's, you know, the, the little things do add up in that way. And guarding a player of his caliber, guarding guys like D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, all those guys in the bonus for an extended period of time is really hard. You mentioned just not hitting your open looks from three. Taylor Hendricks, they gave him a lot of room to shoot. and I know he's still got plenty of time to kind of hone, hone in that skill, but what are you seeing from his, with his shot right now? Um, Taylor had a rough night shooting the ball. Um, you know, he's, he's a capable shooter. He's somebody that we believe in. He works on it a lot. Tonight just wasn't his night um, from a shooting standpoint, but um, you know that's really not what I'm looking for from Taylor right now. I think ultimately he will make enough. Um, you know, right now it's about doing things on the defensive side of the ball, um, rebounding, digging out 50-50 balls, that type of thing. Um, you know, I, I think the the shooting. You know, he wasn't the only one that had a rough night shooting from three. Um, yeah, it just wasn't our night. When it comes to that uh, defensive communication needing to be sharper, where are you seeing things that are kind of lacking right now? Like what specifically needs to be improved in that area? You know, we, because of some of the lineups that we're playing, we've got people that end up on maybe some matchups they're not used to. Um, and that puts you in different spots on the floor than, than maybe you're accustomed to being in. And... I think that's where, like, when we're doing schemes where you're sending a second person to somebody, um, if you're in an unfamiliar part of the court, the rotations are different, your responsibilities are different, and I think that, um, you know, that's where we've got to continue to to learn as a group um, because this is our team, and guys are going to play with lineups they haven't played with before this season, um, and that's just the reality of the situation. So, um when you are on different matchups, cross matches can happen in transition as well. And it's about, you know, thinking as a group and recognizing what the objective defensively is and that you're not going to be in the same spot every time. Um, you know, it's, I think we've talked about this before, but like you do a walkthrough or a practice and the situations, there's so many variables. Well, what if this guy's there and this guy, I mean, you could move people around and then change matchups and, you know, the walkthrough would be seven hours. So it's uh, it's about sort of grasping the concept of what we're trying to accomplish defensively. And then as a group, being able to solve that individual possession of like, okay, if this is the concept we're trying to accomplish, 
based on this spacing that they're in and who I'm guarding, what's our next move? Um, and I think we're getting there. Like, I do see improvement even in the last couple games since the deadline of, of the team's communication and guys understanding where they are. Um, you know, the Lakers did a good job punishing us tonight in terms of playing in the paint. They also shot the ball great from three. Compared to kind of Lowry's usual standard, he's had a couple of rough-ish games in a row. Is that just shot making, or are you seeing other aspects of his game? You know, I think he's, I think he's gotten good looks. Um, I think he got good looks from three. I, I really liked some of the drives and bumps to his little mini fadeaway. He works on that shot a lot. Um, you know, he hasn't gotten to the free throw line as much as maybe he has for most of the season, and I think that that puts pressure on everything else you're doing. Um, free throws are very settling for a player, especially somebody that gets as much contact as he does. Um, and so it's it's really like a com, you know, combination of all those things. It's, uh, it's not one thing. Like I'm not seeing anything when I watch the film or watch him during the game that's standing out as like, oh man, he's slipping in this area or a team is doing something drastically different to him. Um, you know, I, I have the utmost faith that his shooting will bounce back. I think it's been a pretty big adjustment not having your second, a secondary playmaker that you've had all year, like Olenek out there for Lowry to, in these last couple of games as well, to maybe contributing to that um, lack of go to the line and, and like lower scoring nights. I don't like, is, yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I agree. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I concur. He's, uh, you know, Lowry's somebody that we move around a lot off the ball. I think we're going to have to use other people as that secondary playmaker now. Um, you know, Keontae is somebody that we're using a ton to facilitate, but I think we're going to have to find ways to utilize Chris maybe in some ways we haven't in the past. I think utilizing guys like... Talon um, in some roles that maybe he hasn't had before. I think even a guy like John. Um, I think John's a pretty good passer when he catches the ball and is stationary. And so, you know, that's going to be a, a big progression for us. Um, you know, we may mix in a little bit more of that tomorrow. And then obviously after the break, it's a great time to reset. We'll have a couple of practices and, you know, the ability to really all get on the same page, which I think um, will be great. What could that look like using Chris in a different way? Uh, how much time do you have? Um, All the time alone. I mean, <laughs> to talk about Chris, of course. Uh, I mean, we can use Chris as a screener and try to put him in the pocket a little bit. Um, as a facilitator, I think there's also some opportunities to give Chris the ball off the elbow, um, potentially in that sort of pistol spot like we did with Kelly before, where he's getting a live catch and is not on the dribble making decisions. I think Chris's ability to play off of a, you know, his pivot and he's a good driver and plays off two feet, but I do think there's opportunities to put him in some of those spots that we saw Kelly. Um, you know, it's not something that we've done with Chris before, but um, conceptually, I think it could work. Walker, um Finishing over AD is always tough, but kind of what do you want to see from his finishing to maybe get him at a, a higher percentage? Yeah, I think there's there's a combination of things there. I think the first one is he needs to slow down a little bit. I feel like he's rushing some of those plays. Um, 
and maybe not giving himself enough credit on his own length when he, you know, plays over the top. Um, you know, I think there's also the where you present for those drop-off passes is important. Um, sometimes your instinct is to follow right behind the defender, and I think you need to sometimes be a little bit more patient and let the defender separate from you, one, so your teammates can see you a little bit easier, and two, so you can develop a little bit of momentum towards the rim. You know, there was one or two plays in that where I felt like he caught it under the basket, which is not where you want to be versus Anthony Davis. Um, so it's it's small small things to tweak. Um, you know, tonight his finishing was probably just kind of a microcosm of the whole game for us in terms of like close, not like glaringly bad. He wasn't doing anything that was glaringly bad. We're just like a you know a few feet off in some of the spacing stuff, and you know a guy like Anthony Davis really takes advantage of that. That was Will Hardy as the Utah Jazz fell to the Los Angeles Lakers to drop their third straight game, 138-122. The Jazz were led by Colin Sexton, who scored 18 points. Six players uh, for the Jazz scored in double figures. Larry Markinen added 16. Jordan Clarkson had 17 points to lead all bench scores. But it was the big breakout career high from Rui Hachimura, 13 of 19, uh, to go with two rebounds. He had 36 points, a big night from the Japanese star. Now let's let you hear from Lowry Markinen, who scored 16 points and added eight rebounds for the Jazz. What do you feel like the game kind of got away from you guys? Uh, obviously, they made some made some shots, and uh, we didn't. But we can do a better job. I mean, that's what where it really comes down to. But try to keep them away from the free throw line, defensive communication, and. Uh, so, Bull's talking about. Sorry, sir. Go ahead. Bull's talking about the defensive communication. How big an adjustment has that been, just with the new kind of rotations, and, and where does that most need some work? Yeah, just sharing time on the court with each other and getting on the same page. Just honoring the call that I think it's the biggest thing that all five guys are on the same page. Uh, we've been doing plenty of different stuff throughout the season, so. We've got to, even though it seems uh, it's an easy thing to do, but like there's constantly people subbing in and out, and so he's got to make sure that what coverage each person is and being really executed. What do you think you can do to get a better whistle? No, I'm not complaining. We've got to attack the rim and. Uh, <clears throat> I feel like sometimes we were going to the three-point line uh, east to west, right, and like attacking the rim. So it's going to turn at some point. You just keep attack, keep attacking, and uh, so that's really the biggest thing. So I'm not, I'm not trying to get. <laughs> How much does your life change offensively without Kelly? Because he was so much of a playmaker, and he got so much attention for you guys. Yeah, it's a different. Like I said, just sharing the time on the court with those guys, and uh, we have different lineups we haven't used earlier. With Kelly, we had kind of that year, year and a half of chem building chemistry, and uh, obviously came along really well on the court. So it's a little different, but I mean, we still got a few pieces on this team, so it's got to being able to 
like I talked about on the defensive stuff, to be on the same page and really go out there as a unit. I think that goes to offense too, knowing that knowing what we're going to run and being in the right spots, and then obviously the passes and reads are easier. So. He was such a big secondary playmaker for you guys, sometimes primary playmaker for you guys, for other people. Do you feel like you have uh, the guys on the roster right now that kind of fill that void that he's leaving in that role? Kelly's one of a kind. <laughs> uh, I don't think you can find anything similar to that. Uh, obviously, did a great job. So we have a little different looks now, and uh, we still have unselfish guys that are willing to pass on this team. And uh, so that's a tough shoe to fill. But I mean, yeah, we have good guys on this. <laughs> kind of along the same lines. Just one more game to go before the All Star break. How, how do you feel about this team? You know, and, and your chances down the stretch. We ain't giving up. So that's one thing we have on this team. Just playing our hearts out and uh, really I think just it's been a couple, rough couple games and kind of relearning all the stuff that we've been I mean really just what I talk about I keep repeating it but like getting on the same page so like spacing wise be knowing what we're doing and when to cut and when to so we have a lot of potential with this team so I think just one thing that we're not going to do is stop working so so he's just going to come in in the morning and uh, see what we can do better. And I'm really trying to, first of all, finish this before the break, finish strong, and then see where we can go from there. When you guys hear, I, I guess, last night or this morning that LeBron's not playing, are you happy about that? Are you sad about that? Like, disappointed you don't get to play him? What's your reaction? You always want to play the best against the best, but uh, obviously we understand, like, that they're – it, it is a little different look, Lakers, when he's not there. So uh, change it, the coverages and that kind of stuff changed a little bit, but obviously we knew it in the morning, so we were able to scout them right away. It wasn't like a last-minute scratch. So. Yeah. I just wondered, like, your immediate visceral reaction is like, woo, we're excited about this opportunity, or, yeah, bummed you don't get yeah, to you play. Yeah, you kind of know in the league that, like, even if he's not – playing they they got some good guys on that team that are trying to step up uh, with his absence so uh, he's still got to prepare for all of them and really be ready to go so obviously it is a little different look when he's not there but we have, we saw that they got some good guys on that team other than those two there he was, Larry Martin, as the Utah Jazz fall to the Lakers, 138-122. They dropped to three games below 500 on the season at 26-29. and 29. Back in action tonight against the Golden State Warriors in their final outing. Before the All-Star break, the Jazz once again fall to the Lakers, 138-122. When we come back, what is trending? The headlines are next.